I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, November 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, remembering those who've died because of gender violence. Then, a small Delta town receives a prestigious health prize. And State Senator John Polk talks COVID relief allocation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Since 1999, members and allies of the transgender community have gathered to memorialize those killed because of their gender identity. It's called the International Transgender Day of Remembrance. And this weekend in Mississippi's capital city, over 40 Americans lost to violence were remembered. Among them, Dominique Jackson and Mel Groves, two trans women from Jackson. Jensen Matar is a trans male and coordinator with the trans program. He spoke with our Kobe Van at the ceremony. Unfortunately, people are killed every single year uh, simply for being who they are, for identifying as transgender or gender nonconforming. Um, and so we want to uplift those individuals, their lives, their stories, their faces, their names today, um, and simultaneously help the larger community understand the issues that transgender people face that lead to this violence so we can do better. As trans people have become more normalized in America, how are things changing for people here in Mississippi who uh, do identify as trans? Um, You know, there's uh, definitely been an increase in visibility. Yes, especially with things like the Internet and um, organizations coming together that do work to help improve LGBTQ lives or trans-specific lives. There has been an increase in in visibility, um, even in Mississippi, even in Jackson, And um, that is, you know, a good thing, but with additional visibility does come some uh, challenges, right? So people do have their own views, especially those who are ignorant, um, even if it's unintentional to the issues of trans people. um, They they do have uh, sometimes uh, views that are not in alignment with treating people with love and decency and respect, unfortunately. And we're working to educate people 
um, about trans issues and and in hopes that we can all work together moving into the future to uh, improve trans lives, actually just really make things better for all of us as a community. Um, but uh, there's a lot of work to do. When it comes to violence, what kind of violence are trans people facing here in Mississippi? You know, trans people face all kinds of violence here like they do everywhere else. Um, they are ostracized from their families, disowned, if you will, by families. Um, they um, have a hard time proving identity because they're, the name they might use, pronouns that they, uh, they use are, uh, don't match their legal documentation, which can cause issues. Um, people are... I have a hard time with health care, accessing health care, accessing education, housing. There's a lot of issues as it relates to um, housing. I mean, you think about it, a, a young person who identifies as trans, it might be kicked out of the home, and then where do they go, right? So we need to do better about making sure housing is accessible, employment as well. Um, right now, Mississippi does not have discrimination protections um, uh, for transgender people, for LGBTQ people at all, which means that... Um, you know, a trans person could be denied a job or denied housing, and, and we don't have anything in place to hold, um, you know, the responsible parties accountable. So, there, you know, there are, there's a laundry list of issues that trans people face, and you have uh, organizations in the state that are um, working really hard, you know, to, to, you know, improve accessibility to all of these different resources and more. Um, and, and help trans people really just live, you know? What does it say to you and trans people you've spoken with whenever they see things like the state legislature passing mm -hmm. bills that prevent trans youth from participating in sports? Yeah, um, you know, we've had uh, Mississippi and other states have uh, pushed through some awful legislation in recent years, and it seems to be going strong. Um, it's a battle. Um, it's harmful, and it says to me that we are becoming more visible. It does actually, to me, there's some good in that. It says that, they, they, that these people in power who are moving these, uh, these bills, um, they recognize that trans people exist, at least. And that means to me that um, our visibility has increased. Um, it also means that we have a lot more work to do, you know. It means that there's a lack of education, a lack, lack of understanding. And um, it really does all just start with education, and that's why we're incorporating some education into today's um, memorial service, because without proper, you know, education, you don't have the knowledge, which means you don't have the understanding, which means you're never going to get to a place of, you know, um, acceptance. And, and we really just need to be working um, closer to working towards, I should say, working towards um, a greater level of acceptance in our community. Memorial service, y'all are holding today, but looking forward, what are some other things Mississippians who want to be allies of the uh, trans community can do to help partner with them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, every there are so many things that folks in the community can do to get on board and support the trans community um, now and moving into the future. I would say just start by posting some positive content on social media. If you know anybody who's trans, call them up. Give them some support. Ask them what they need. You know, connect them with appropriate resources if you have connections to those resources. Um, take a trans person to lunch. You know, position yourself in spaces where there are trans people so you can make a trans friend. Um, and ask them what they need because we all are unique and we all have, you know, unique needs. Um, I would say the easiest thing to do is stand up for what's right, you know. So if, if somebody is saying something that um, is harmful to a trans person, something that's anti-trans, 
um, I would definitely make, I would tell someone it's, it's, it's your responsibility to step up and to, uh, to correct that behavior. Don't just go along with it. We all hear things in our, in our jobs, in our normal day-to-day -day type situations where trans people are slandered um, and, and disrespected, and that's what permits mistreatment, that's what permits violence. And so just doing what you can in your normal day-to-day -to, -day to kind of put your foot down and say, hey, that's not acceptable, um, is going to really go a long way. Jensen Matar, coordinator with the TRANS program with our Kobe Vance. Coming up, a small Delta town receives a prestigious health prize. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Culture of Health Prize is awarded annually to American communities that demonstrate exceptional commitment to well-being and social advancement. This year, the prize went to 10 different municipalities, one of which was Drew, Mississippi, a small town in rural Sunflower County. Melanie Townsend is Drew's mayor. Drew is a small community. Uh, approximately about 2,100 people. Is the town small enough that everybody knows one another? Oh, yes, ma'am. Very, very, very small. Are there schools for the kids, or do they go to another district? Oh, yes, ma'am. We have, um, actually, I serve on the school board, too. Um, one of the school board representatives. Um, we have two schools here in Drew. We have A.W. James Elementary uh, School and we have Drew Hunter Middle School here in Drew, and our high school students attend the school at Thomas E. Edwards High School in rural Mississippi. Now, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation recognizes you, one of 10 communities in the country, for the Culture of Health Prize. And this was about um, creating a healthy environment for your community. So how long have you been improving, Drew, and how have you been doing it? Um, we actually, we have a Drew Collaborative. We together create a change. Drew United for Progress. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers in the community that makes up those um, those um, groups. Um, and we just really just trying to go about revitalizing the community. We've been doing this for quite some time. Um, I know I've been active in the community ever since I, I can say uh, because I want to see Drew better in a better shape than it is in. I want to see the town clean. Um, I want to see better health for our citizens here in Drew and, uh, and get some of these houses, de demolish some of these houses here in Drew so we can uh, have some uh, new affordable homes here Andrew built here, Andrew, but we had to start somewhere cleaning it up first so we can start getting some new homes built here in our community. How many homes did you take down? I do believe, and don't quote me, I think it was a little over maybe 70. Oh, my. I believe it was, it was 70, 
if I'm not mistaken. I want to say it was 70. I know it was more than 40. That's quite an but, undertaking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, how many homes have gone up in the place of the blighted homes? Well, we haven't gotten them uh, up yet, but we're in the process. We just um, supposed to be getting about approximately six houses uh, put up uh, within the near future because I just signed some paperwork in reference to that. What are you doing to encourage healthy lifestyles so that your citizens are more healthy? Well, actually, you know, we have these community uh, health fairs that come out, and uh, we enlighten the citizens in the community. We're giving them pamphlets, um, trying to educate, you know, our citizens on healthier eating styles, and uh, and we invite the people to come out and uh, so they can hear about um, uh, the healthy lifestyle, eating choices, and we just have a lot of classes uh, in reference to that. Have the citizens of Drew embraced this project, and are they participating in the cleanup and other things that are going on? Oh, yes, ma'am. We had over about, like, 50, between 50, 60 people that comes out and help us out with our community cleanup. Uh, what we do, um, normally Drew United for Progress spearheads this because I'm a member of that also. And also we together create a change in the collaborative. We all get together and um, and we get the flyers out. We send them to the schools. Uh, the principals at the schools, they partner with us and um, they give the students some type of incentives to help us come out and clean up and it's not much, but, you know, it's some type of incentive that they give the students, you know, um, to come out and help be a part in the community to let them know, you know, if they want a clean city, they got to take part in keeping it clean. It's prestigious to be recognized by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation with this prize. Is there anything that comes along with the prize besides bragging rights? Well, yes, ma'am. Um, they got $25,000. Um, it was a $25,000 grant, and we we continue to work, and it's not nothing that we just started. We've been doing this all along. And then, of course, when that came along, they wanted to see us partnershiping together, working together, and we were just doing what we've been doing all along. And we just got recognition on it. And I'm just thankful and grateful that somebody realized and recognized this small town that we are really working hard in this community. Melanie Townsend is the mayor of Drew, uh, the community that has just received the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Culture of Health Prize, one of only 10 winners in the entire country. Congratulations and (laughs) woohoo indeed. Congratulations. And uh, we wish you the best in the future and the continued redevelopment of your town. Yes, ma'am. I'm looking forward and it's more to come. We're small, but we're going to move because we're working together. And that's what it takes. People coming together and advancing the, the, the health, the equality for for everybody, not just one set of race, for all races coming together, working together. Coming up, State Senator John Polk talks COVID relief allocation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Thanksgiving is around the corner, which means travel, family gatherings, and football games. Things feel more normal than last year, but as the Gulf States newsroom Shalina Chatlani reports, health officials across the South are still urging people to take precautions to avoid another COVID-19 surge. After the Delta variant overwhelmed hospitals and brought another wave of deaths this summer, COVID-19 cases are low across Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. But Louisiana Health Officer Joseph Cantor says the threat of COVID is still real. What families should do first is consider how they can make their gatherings safer, encouraging everyone who's there to get vaccinated. States across the Gulf South still have among the lowest vaccination rates in the country for adults and children. Cantor says people should try to do some activities outdoors if they can and wear masks. And if you're traveling, Dr. Rachel Lee, an epidemiologist at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, recommends checking to see if COVID rates are high at your destination. The Centers for Disease Control has a transmission tracker. The first question I always ask is, where are you going to be? The second question is, who will you be with? We want to protect those who are not yet eligible for vaccination. So that's going to be children under the age of five. And if you do need to seek medical care, health officials say try out an urgent care or booking an appointment with your doctor first. Hospitals are facing major staffing shortages, so emergency rooms could be strained. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Shalina Chatlani. Mississippi's top health officials are sending out their own warning ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. With families expected to resume more normal activities this season, the state's relatively low vaccination rate is an area of concern. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says Mississippi is in a better place than it was last summer or this past summer, but should learn from past surges. The holidays have have been uh, tough for us in, in the past, and so we've had vaccines available for quite some time. Let's let's go ahead and, and make the decision to get vaccinated if you haven't. But um, let's let's be ready to have a, a safe holiday. I think these next few weeks are going to be critical for us in in seeing what the pandemic is going to look like for us as w- as we get through the winter months. According to MSDH data, 47 percent of Mississippi's total population is fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The state of Mississippi has yet to determine exactly how it'll spend over $1 billion in federal COVID-19 relief. Last week, a subcommittee of the state Senate Appropriations Committee met to evaluate how best to allocate the funds. Senator John Polk, who is a Republican from Hattiesburg, chairs the group. He speaks with Desiree Frazier. One big issue, the sewer and water infrastructure. Uh, Mississippi has issues in some cities Jackson and others, and EPA has made some decrees. Will that be a big part of the allocation, you think? First off, I think all of us want whatever community gets any type grant, have money 
their own skin in the game, so to speak. I, I don't know that we would be doing the people of Mississippi correctly if we gave some to cities that had spent their money not on their infrastructure but on other things, while cities who did use their ARP funds for infrastructure didn't get any. That would not be rewarding good behavior. It's an opportunity right now for everybody that has a water sewer problem to at least fix a lot of it. And if Mississippi can help with our funds, we will. We certainly are going to expect some skin in the game from the cities that we do uh, work with. On top of that, one thing that many people forget are there are numerous, numerous water associations in Mississippi that are nonprofit and that serve a lot of rural Mississippi. I think we've got to find a way to help them. And in reality, they did not get any ARPA funds. So they'll have to be matching with dollars that are directly borrowed by them or any type reserves that they have. But I think we need to look at uh, some type of grant program with our water associations. For some cities who are getting a separate allocation like Hattiesburg and Jackson, Biloxi, do you think you'll have to help them with funding? Well, I think our grant program will not discriminate among cities. It'll be a match of some sort of the ARPA funds that these cities got. But understand, most every small town, even some villages in Mississippi, did receive some type of ARPA funds. How are you going to track all that? (laughs) That's part of the problem that we're supposed to uh, uh, recommend how to do it to the Lieutenant Governor and Chairman Hobson of Appropriations Committee. And that's one of the more difficult things. I know with water and sewer, the state DEQ is very involved in that aspect of already uh, of helping cities and, and small towns understand what they have to do in approving the plans. So I think they would be a good resource to begin with. Is there anything that's top of mind for you any two or three things that are items that you feel like have to be a part of this plan? I have two or three personal things. Remember, I'm just the chairman of the subcommittee. I have six other great members that uh, I'm sure they'll have ideas, and many of them will be different than mine. And then once we present to the full committee, I'm sure everyone on the appropriations committee and their 26 of us on that committee in the Senate will have ideas. And that doesn't even come close to talking about where the House is on this. They will have uh, input. It has to pass both houses, whatever plan we agree to. Uh, Yes, so to begin with, I do have, and I'll share them with you. But remember, it's going to look a lot different when when it's all said and done. But I first would like to take care of any lost revenue that Mississippi had during the COVID epidemic or pandemic, I guess we're calling it now. As you know, that is a legitimate use of funds, of the ARPA funds. If you've had lost revenue as a state, you can replace it. So I'm looking for that number, and we're still working on getting it. The other thing we can do with it is replenish our unemployment insurance fund back to where it was before uh, covid we had, a, uh, we had a lot of money saved up. We were doing quite well, and then it just wiped out when COVID hit. 
I think there's $111 million left to refund into the system to get us back where we were. Uh, so I'd like to see that done. The insurance, we were self-insured, self-insured as a state, and so with COVID, we had a lot more expense. And I want to say that the numbers in the mid-40 millions uh, that we need to replenish and get the state insurance fund back up to where it needs to be to take care of our retirees and our current state employees to ensure they have good insurance and our teachers. And then anything that we can do, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing both uh, water and sewer. I think we need to look at broadband. The one thing we need to really remember there are there are a lot of different funds that are going to be coming to help broadband. Uh, I think the, uh, the infrastructure bill has uh, about $100 million from Mississippi and it for broadband. So we want to spend on broadband. We want to get broadband to everyone in Mississippi. But we've got so many different funds coming in with that. I don't want to spend our ARPA funds if we don't have to, or at least spend the minimal amount that we'll have to to get, get as good of service to the people of Mississippi we can. Republican John Polk is chair of Mississippi Senate subcommittee focused on federal COVID relief funds. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.